few years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Welcome in to the It's You Tell Us Well podcast. Tom Hackett, alongside Steve Bartle with you all. As always, we have a fun show lined up for you guys. It's brought to you, of course, by Nate Wade Subaru, 2107 South Main Street. Hey, if you're not comfortable or you're not feeling comfortable, I should say, to, uh, to head down to the dealership, you ought to check out their website, uh, natewaysubaru.com. Uh, they have a ton of, ton of new kind of uh, cool digital um, niches to their, to their website. Um, you, can, you can essentially do anything you would like uh, on the website nowadays. So uh, it's not natewadesubaru.com. I do apologize. Natewade.com is the website. But yeah, you can like request... Uh, trade-in values. You can you can schedule a service appointments. You can speak to customer service reps. You can speak to the guys that are on the floor at the dealership that would normally help you out if you were to go down there. So, so they made things really really simple for everybody out there. If you, if you feel comfortable going down to the to the to the dealership, be our be our guest. They're there to help you. But if you don't, head to their website nateway.com, uh, and you'll be able to get whatever you need done. Uh, sorted um so we thank them uh, as we do every week because without their tender loving support we would not be able to put this show on um we have a pretty cool show steve we're going to talk uh devon lloyd returned in fact let's just start with news and notes shall we so devon lloyd returned to uh to the 2020 utah football roster uh he decided he was not going to declare for the nfl draft i believe he's, he's got to be the last one of the last players from the 2020 mm-hmm. team to, to declare that he's going to come back. Uh, and I thought this was a, a rather surprising, surprising uh, bit of news, Steve. What did you make of it? What have you heard? Um, and how do you feel about it? Yeah, obviously, great to have him back, right? Like, <laughs> you, you get a welcome back, a two, two-time All-Pac-12 caliber type player and a player that was considered the most productive defender on a defense that had multiple draft picks, uh, including, you know, Jalen Johnson, Julian Blackman, both of which challenged for defensive rookie of the year in the NFL. Like Devin Lloyd was the most productive player, according to Morgan Scally on that 2019 team. And, you know, he continued to, to produce at a high level this, this season as well. And so um, it was, you know, I, I had heard before the season during the season that, you know, if he got a, a solid grade that it was likely he would be gone just based on the tape. You know, if he got a, a grade he felt comfortable with, he felt confident that his athletic testing would kind of boost his stock even more. Um, and so, yeah, it was a little surprising to kind of see him uh, announce that he was coming back, but man, it's, it's exciting. Uh, it, it's good that he's coming back and he's going to be a key cog in, uh, what could be a very good defense yet again up at Utah? Yeah, yeah, very well said. I I agree. I think I think he's the sort of player, and I was surprised by the news to be quite frank. Yeah, um, I I think if he hadn't declared for the NFL draft this year, there's no doubt he was going to be drafted. It's just a matter of what round. Right. Uh, and he he clearly decided that um, whatever round he was hearing. Um, wasn't good enough. He wanted to be better than that. So he's, he's coming back and I think that's good. He just now has to stay healthy and he has to produce. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there certainly is risk in, in returning. Uh, but, but even if, um, even if he, he weren't to have the year 
that he had been hoping for. I'm sure he would have. I'm sure he will still be drafted in the 2022 draft. He is just a, a phenomenal talent. And, and, he, and look, we've said it for quite some time now. He's the sort of player that you just see in the NFL. When you watch him play at the college level, you go, yeah, that, that kid right there, number zero, uh, yeah. he, he, he just moves different than yeah. most. He sees things that others don't. He's constantly kind of directing traffic, pointing, you know, leading, if you will. Yeah. Um, look, he's going to play in the NFL, and he's going to play in the NFL, I imagine, for quite some time. Uh, whether he starts at the linebacker spot in the NFL or he plays a lot of it on on, on special teams, that's a that's a waiting game. Uh, but, yeah. but boy, I think he's he's certainly the sort of player that that could uh, impact the NFL on the defense. <clears throat> pardon me, on the defensive side for for quite some years. Uh, but nonetheless, it's still good to see him return. Now, this is interesting because I wanted to bring this up. Uh, Coach Whittingham, um, he, he claims, Steve, he claims that. When when players are thinking about declaring early, as Jalen Johnson did, he 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 tells the team that if if he thinks it's it's in the best interest of the player to leave, despite how it may impact the team uh, in the in the in the future, he will always side with the right thing to do for the player. And he said that he's and, and look he's um. I, I will never forget he he Jake Murphy. Uh, I'm sure many Utah fans will remember Jake Murphy, the, the tight end, mm-hmm. played early uh, for the NFL draft. He left after his junior season, um, and, and look, he played a few years in in the NFL, but he he kind of just bounced around. Um, I yeah. don't think he made a ton of money, uh, but he certainly made some. He was on the practice squad uh, for a number of different teams, and I remember Coach Whittingham the year after that saying, "Look." I, I promise you, if it's time for you to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that you, you need to do that. Uh, and, and he said, you know, I didn't think it was right for Jake Murphy to leave. I thought he needed to work on a few other things, uh, his blocking in particular, um, and, and maybe some more special teams work for, uh, for Jake. And, and he kind of, I guess, told the team that, you you know, you you need to kind of just listen to me because I speak to these scouts, general managers, coaches in the NFL all the time. Uh, and and I, I think that's quite an interesting, um, I think that's quite an interesting yeah. conversation because I, I don't know how many, how many college football coaches out there do that. You know, it, it would be very easy, Steve, for coach Whittingham to go, go about his business and say something along the lines of, um, we want you back all the time, you know, because it'll strengthen right. our team. We'll win more games because of it. And subsequently I'll probably make more money if you return. Uh, but, but yeah, he goes, he, he goes about his business in the right way, I think. And yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, look, I don't know if he had any impact in Devin Lloyd returning. Um, but, but I guess we can speculate and say that he probably did. Sure. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. And really, you know, for for Kyle Whittingham and and Utah, it's it's a win win. You know, either way, whether he decides to, you know, return, you're you're bringing back a great player that you you know can produce and and play at a high level. And if he declares, you know, that's just another, you know, another tip in the old hat where you know you get you get another player that's in the NFL, you know, that you can use on the recruiting trail. And for Utah, that's been the big thing that they've been pushing on the recruiting trail is their player development and their track record and developing NFL talent. And Devin Lloyd, if you remember his recruitment, like he was a two-star safety in the 2017 class. Like he was committed to UNLV at one point. And I remember because that was the class that included you know, a four-star Jalen Johnson, a four-star Corey Ballard, a four-star Marquise Blair, a four-star Javon Guidry. And then here's this two-star Devin Lloyd. Like, what are we doing wasting our time with this guy? Like, why are we going after him? But, like, you pop on the tape and you can just see, like, he was 6'3", 6'4", lengthy, playing safety, but he had, like, this gigantic frame. And you're just like, man, like – that's a dude. Like, I don't care what the star rankings say. That's a dude. And Utah brought him in and, you know, they, they were fortunate enough to give him an, the, the amount of time he needed to at least be, be, at least be ready to go. You know, when he was called upon, you know, 
before the, the 2019 season, you know, that way he could kind of adjust to the linebacker position, get physically ready because that's a, it's a violent position, you know, and a lot of fans will remember a few years ago, Rashawn Hooker was a highly touted linebacker, yes. played the game. Yeah. You know, and, and just, I don't know if he was physically ready for the game at this level, but he played the game violently, you know, and, and it just, you gotta be, you gotta be physically ready, physically adjusted for the sport at, at this level. And I think they were able to do that with Devin. It's so, it's so interesting to, to think about and to talk about just all, all of the different players that have, that have come into Utah and around the country. It's not just Utah. It's, it's every program, but Rashawn Hooker, well, I haven't thought of him for so long. He, he was there when I was there, Steve, he was one yeah. of the nicest guys going around. I remember, you know, when he was coming into the program, there was a ton of hype, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the players on the roster at the time were very excited to have his services. Um, but his body just couldn't handle the heat. He right. just, and there's only so much you can do. You know, he did everything he could to try and prepare himself physically, but his body just didn't allow it. And he, yeah. he ended up having to retire uh, from the game at a very young age. You know, he had concussion issues. Right. And so that's obviously quite scary, you know, and you have to take that very seriously. But I, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, my memory serves me correctly, I think he also had some shoulder concerns, you know, it's just, his body just couldn't handle right. it. And, yeah. And so it's part of the game, isn't it? You know, yeah. some players, um, and it's part of the recruiting, you know, is this the sort of player that, yeah, he, look, he's produced at the high school level and he's, he's ranked as a four-star kid and he's got offers from here, there and everywhere, but, but is he going to be able to handle the constant beating from, from, from the college game? Um, yeah. Devin Lloyd has been able to do that, that touch wood, you know, so far. Yes. Uh, some players just can't. And um, it's just fascinating to, to see. It's why I tell kids that they should punt, Steve. <laughs> yeah, no, no, definitely. You're, you're right. Do that or long snap. Like there are 32 jobs in the NFL. And if you can long snap with the best of them, like you've got job security, man. Like you do that, like you're good. So, um, you know, it's, it's good. And bringing it back again to Devin, it's just, it's good to see him, his development, you know, since he joined the program in that 2017 class and to see his growth as a player, but more as a leader. And I think that's kind of the biggest win here is Utah brings back a tremendous leader, you know, both vocally and and emotionally and a guy that, you know, the coaching staff can rely on to kind of lead the way for this defense and with the, the, the talent, the amount of talent that they're bringing in at the linebacker position with, you know, Ethan Calvert, Mason Tufunga and, and Trey Reynolds, having Devin Lloyd there to kind of lead the way and kind of, you know, not only show them the ropes, but be a guy that can take the pressure off of them to, to be the guy, you know, once they step on campus, I think that's a big deal. And, you know, the young guys will be able to to come in and kind of learn from him and learn how he works and how he operates on a day-to-day basis. And I think that'll be huge for, for those guys. So it's, it's great because, you know, obviously you welcome back a great player and a guy that will be a, a top two or three down the road and be able to learn from him as well. So all around, this is a big win for Utah to welcome Devin back. Yeah, no question. Uh, Nephi Saul was, was somebody that, that obviously um, benefited a ton from uh, playing alongside Devin Lloyd. So, you know, for, for Calvert yes. and a few of these other cats that are coming in as, as freshmen, you know, like make, you know, then they're, they're not guaranteed playing time right, right off the bat. I mean, they're going to have to earn every, every rep they receive. Yeah. They're probably going to have to play some special teams, which they're not used to, but uh, Nephi still was very productive. He, he was maybe the, the brightest spot Um from the entire 2020 season, I mean, Ty Jordan, I guess, would, yeah. would, would take the cake. Um, but from a defensive standpoint, you know, there was a, there was a lot of concern surrounding Nephi Sewell transitioning from safety. Has he put on enough weight? Does he understand the linebacking position and what it requires? Uh, I thought he stepped up and he was, um, he was the best player on defense for a handful of games there. Um and that, that's really cool to see. So there's going to be a ton of competition yeah. on the defensive side, which is important because that brings out the most of you and the best of you. 
Um, and I think, yeah, I think this defense is going to be formidable. Clark Phillips ended his season with the pick six. Nate Ritchie uh, made a pl- he made a number of plays, not only at the safety position, kind of uh, deflecting passes in the air, but look, he he, he came down into the box a ton uh, yeah. and was able to pressure the quarterback and make tackles for losses in the backfield. I mean, he he's he. I mean, he's like, and I don't say this lightly, right? But he 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 kind of looked like a very very young an inexperienced Eric Weddle. And I know that's like a massive statement, but, but he, he came into the box and he came out of the box. He made plays in the backfield. He made plays at the safety position. Um, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying, I want to, I want to make sure I'm clear. I'm not saying that he's going to turn out to be as good yeah, and productive yeah. as Eric Weddle. Okay. Now there's right. a lot, there's a lot that goes into that. Eric Weddle is one of the best to ever yeah. do it. Um, but, but he certainly, he, he just looks like, he can maybe utilize uh, some areas of what Eric was able to do and, and yeah. put it in his own game as well. So uh, and, I and think since you, since you, since you brought it up, so Nate Ritchie got his mission call last night. He's going to be serving in New Hampshire mm. uh, for the, for the next little bit. That was something I, we learned late last night. So he's got, he got his mission call. So he won't, won't be, in, you know, he won't be playing next year, but right. everything that you said, you know, like he, he has those traits where you're just like, he can be, he can be whatever, you know, he really wants. Like he can be a guy that, you know, attacks the line of scrimmage can play in coverage. Like he was matched up against Drake London. Obviously that was a tough matchup game one, but you know, he's got traits. And so the good thing is, is that there is safety depth. You know, they brought in three safeties last year that you've got Ben Renfro, you've got Kamoi Latu and, then you've got RJ Hubert coming back from his injury and him getting, you know, this extra year will be good for him. And then the big thing at safety is obviously Vontae Davis kind of emerging and, uh, and playing really well this season. And that'll be a, a big, big boost for the safety position for sure. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about this now because I think this is more for another conversation, another time, because it, it, it'll take, it'll take probably most of, of the episode, but you bring up the whole Nate Ritchie mission thing. Uh, maybe I'll preface this. We'll talk about it next week. I've written, I've written it down, so I'm not going to forget about it. Yeah. But, um, it's a very, and again, I, it's a touchy subject. And so I don't want to offend anybody because I know there are a ton of people that listen to this podcast that are of the LDS faith. Uh, and they would, they're obviously thrilled that, somebody like Nate Ritchie is going to go serve um, their church. Um, and congratulations, yeah. by the way, to Nate Ritchie for going ahead and doing that. I, I just want to say, and again, we'll save it for next week because it'll take a while to talk about, but, you know, I, um, I get very nervous when players uh, decide to go on mission, specifically following a freshman year uh, at the college level. Uh, and the reason I say that is uh, Britton Covey. So, so uh, Britton Covey. So I used to always be one of the last people to leave the practice facility uh, when I played. And that was just because I'm, I'm slow uh, at doing things. So I would go in the, in the ice tub <laughs> and then I jump in the hot tub yeah. and I go back and forth a ton and I, you know, I get a massage or whatever the case may be. I just wanted to make sure that I was, I was getting as most, as much out of everything I could as I, uh, anyway, long story short, Britton Covey and I, right, right, right. And Jared Norris, there was three of us. So Jared, myself, and Britton were always uh, the last people to leave the practice facility. It felt like anyway. And so we would always shower alongside one another at the end of any day. And for like months prior to the end of the 2015 season, Jared and I would try and convince Covey not to go on his mission while showering. (laughs) Like every day, you know, like and we were just yeah. kind of joking around and, and, and didn't think much yeah. of it. But in hindsight, I look back on that and I go, well, look, and I, maybe we can get Britain on the show um, at some point to talk more about this because I'd love to hear his insight. But he's obviously struggled with a ton of injuries since returning from his mission. You know, and I, I just look, I have to think that part of that two year hiatus had something to do with some of the injuries, maybe not all of them, but some of the injuries that have followed since his return from the mission, because let's be frank, you, you leave for two years and, and um, you know, you're not putting a ton of uh, physical energy into um, your mission. I mean, you may be riding a bike, you may be walking a lot, right. 
you know, but you're not running and sprinting and cutting and you're not taking hits during practice. Your body, you're not working out right. nearly as much as you would be at, at Utah. Uh, and so I have to think that you know, part of that, and so that's why I worry, you know, that, that, that some of these players, specifically if they've played a year, they look really, really good like Nate Ritchie did. Like if he were to, if he were to not go on a mission next year and instead go, you know, I'm going to go on a mission when I'm, when I'm 25, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Maybe I wait and I go on a mission when I'm 40. I don't know. But he would be really good next year. I think we all know he would be he would. really, really good. He might not yeah. be nearly as good when he returns from his mission because it's going to take him some time. But, again, that's a conversation for another time. I don't want to get into that too much um, because, because yeah, that, that that's probably going to take a while. And I'd love to get Brent Covey on the show to see if he could talk to us about his experience um, more so from a physical standpoint, just as to how his body responded once he got back from his mission. And again, look, you know, and it's, and it's intricate because every mission's different, right? So, so so Britain Covey went to Chile, Uh, Nate Ritchie's going to New Hampshire, you know, the the culture, the food, you know, it all plays a role. Um, It does. Yep. But nonetheless, we'll move forward. Uh, TJ Pledger, Steve, announced that he's going to transfer to the University of Utah as a running back from Oklahoma. Now, before I get his, uh, your thoughts on him, um, is, it, is, it, is it Coach Whittingham's policy that once you enter the transfer portal, you are not allowed to come back to the team? Is, is that, do you know if that's kind of his philosophy in that regard or, or what do you know about that? Because I, I was wondering as soon as, and this, sound, this doesn't sound good, um, but as soon as Ty Jordan passed, I, you know, I was obviously, heart, I was very heartbroken. I was very sad. But at the same time, you know, I was thinking, you know, well, what, what does this mean for the running, running position, running back position? And it's like, you know, does Devin Brumfield or Jordan Wilmore, do they now consider coming back? Because you know, like they left, I think, because of how good Ty Jordan was. And now they know that, albeit under tragic circumstances, Ty Jordan isn't going to be back for 2021. Do they come back and, and try and make amends? Or So, so, so what, well, do you, what do you know, Steve? Yeah, I think, you know, with, with these kind of situations, I think it's, it's tough. And I, I, I do think that there is a level of, you know, once you, once you, once you enter the portal, like – unless you're you're willing to come to us like we're not going to go out of our way to to recruit you back i think that's kind of the thing here is um and obviously there are exceptions and 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 things that can be made i don't think it's a black and white type policy um but typically utah has operated like once you're in there like you're done here and that's kind of been their their mo since this became such a big thing um and for the most part like when you look at how it's shaking out. Um, Utah's come out in pretty good shape. You know, when you look at who's entered the portal from Utah and you look at who they've plucked out of the portal, you know, to bring to Utah, they've more often than not, I think they've come out, you know, with, with uh, in better shape. And, and again, you look at what they they've done here with TJ Pledger. This was a kid that he was a high four-star type kid. Um, had a tremendous junior season, transferred to IMG Academy, which is one of the top high school programs in the country uh, for his senior season. Played really well. Obviously, went to Oklahoma, which says a lot about him as an offensive talent. And, you know, now he's coming to Utah because he's looking for a place to that'll that'll give him the ball, basically. So, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, I do think that, you know, Utah isn't – I don't think that if Jordan Wilmore came to them or Devin Brumfield came to them and said, Hey, like, look, like I'll do whatever. Like, I don't think Utah would say thanks, but no thanks. But I do yeah. think that there is a level of, you know, once you enter, you know, you're, you're not coming back. So to find balance, you know, and, and I think for the most I part, hate it's, that. I hate that. Yeah, it's, it's can I tell tough. You why right? I hate, can I tell you why I hate that? Go Could ahead. You? Yeah, absolutely. The reason I hate that Steve is because coaches, Around the country, athletic directors, uh, high executives at at programs, 
they are constantly trying to better their future by speaking to people that may employ them down the road. Steve Sarkeesian is a great example. Um, what's it, who was the coach? Who was the recent coach at uh, Herman? Tom Herman. Yeah, Tom Herman was fired, and three hours later, Sark was named the head coach of Texas. So you're telling me that within a three-hour stretch, the University of Texas, the athletic director, the president, the board of executives was able to reach a deal with Sark without having any prior conversation with him. No, that's BS to even think that way. Texas and Sark were talking for, for, for presumably months while Tom Herman was still employed as the head coach of Texas. They talk all the time. Coach Whittingham, over the years, has had interest from other programs. He has spoken to other people outside of the Utah hub while, you know, behind his players' backs. And that's just the nature of this business. And if you don't like it, then you ought to follow a different sport because it happens a ton. So to say that a player can't do the same just feels morally incorrect and it's not right because why can coaches do it but players can't? If I'm a player and and I'm gone, the transfer of portals now accessible to me, which, by the way, it wasn't back in the day. And to be quite frank, I probably wouldn't have utilized it anyway, but Nonetheless, I digress, we'll move forward. If I'm a player and I'm sitting on the two or three deep and I'm going, I know I can do something here. I'm just, for whatever reason, I'm not getting the chances and I've spoken to the coaches and I've tried to put myself out there and say, any way you can use me, please find a way. If they don't think I'm up to that challenge, then why am I going to waste my time and just linger and stand around when I could potentially be playing for a coach that is going to utilize everything I have to offer. It's the exact same thing. Head coaches, assistant coaches, and athletic directors do it all the time. You know, they go, things that, things that Utah, just for argument's sake, aren't working out. So I'm going to go and I'm going to look at, and see what else I can, I can pursue. And they do that behind the players' backs. They don't, there isn't even like a transfer portal for coaches, Steve. So it's not like there's this big announcement made that Coach Witt's in the transfer portal and he's now able to go and speak to other. It's like, no, no, all of this happens behind closed doors, behind the players' backs. The players are at least putting themselves out there saying, hey, I'm entering the transfer portal. If it doesn't work out, I'd love to come. You know what I mean? You know what I'm getting at? That's why I hate it yeah. the most. Uh, and now not every po- not every program operates in this way. Some programs say if you enter the transfer portal, you're more than welcome to return if it doesn't work out. But there are a lot of programs. I know Dabo Sweeney from Clemson has been very, very public about, you know, if you enter the transfer portal, you will not return to Clemson. And I'm like, Dabo, you hypocrite. That is horrible. You can't, you can't do that. That's morally incorrect. But I digress. We'll wait and see what happens with Devin Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore. What do you know about TJ Pledger? What's his best, uh, what's his best <laughs> asset? Man. Uh, yeah, no, I, Tom, you made some great points there, and I think that's always something worthy of a, of a discussion. And I hope, you know, the thing here is I hope that players continue to properly evaluate things and, and how things are, are working. And I think that's kind of the key here is and, and that. And obviously coaches have been handling this business for years. So, um, but, but you know, with, with regard to, to TJ Pledger, this is a tremendous talent. 5'9", uh, 200 pounds. Um, you know, he's got good size for the position, uh, good athleticism for the position and he runs with toughness. So, you know, he's a good all purpose type of back where you can use him not only as a running back, but you know, if you want, you can split him out, out wide, you can move him into the slot. You can do some interesting things with him there. So, you know, he's a good overall talent, um, to come in and kind of take over take over the spot, take over the running back position. He's good talent. He's got, um, you know, he's, when I watch him, I get the, I get Zach Moss vibes when I watch him. Um, I do think that he's a better overall athlete, but he's, but he's not as, he's definitely not as powerful. Like he's mm-hmm. not going to break tackles. He's not going to truck dudes like Zach Moss did. Um, but there's a lot of body movements, a lot of, uh, you know, 
cuts and, and footwork type of things that remind me a lot of Zach Moss. And so, you know, I'm not saying he's going to come in and he's going to light the world on fire like Zach Moss, but just in, in terms of a good comparison for the type of game that he plays, I would say a more athletic, less powerful Zach Moss is what I look is what I see when I watch TJ Pleasure and what he brings to the table. So, you know, he can he's he's good in, in the passing game, both as a blocker um, and, and and as a pass catcher, but good overall athlete. That'll be a big play threat um, for sure for Utah. So this is this is, you know, obviously, <laughs> you know, we we obviously are going to miss Ty Jordan. He was a special talent. It sucks that we're not going to be able to watch him uh, anymore. And, and, you know, it's tough to move on from him. But TJ Pledger is a good talent. He's going to be able to come in and he's going to be able to keep this thing moving for Utah. And and, uh, and just uh, this is a good, good pickup for Utah for sure. Yeah. Well, it's exciting uh, for Utah fans because the running back position has been so valuable to them and to the team for well, so many years now. I mean, their entire yeah. existence in the Pac-12 you go back before that, the Mountain West days. I mean, they always had good tailbacks, and so it's important, you know. But 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 TJ Pledger, he's going to be he's going to be competing with the likes of Michael Bernard, who I, who I thought showed a bit last year. Uh, he's more than capable, in my opinion. He offers a, yeah. a different burst of speed. Uh, and then Ricky Parks is is look a freshman that's going to come in and try and stamp his authority on things as well. So you know, I'm under the impression now, Steve, in today's day and age, in today's brand of of football. Uh, you need more than one running back um, yeah. at your disposal. You know, and I think we're seeing that now more and more in the NFL. Um, you look at Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, you know, yeah. th- th- those guys split the carries um, and they're so good. And, and, and the reason, part of the reason anyway, they're so good is because, you know, they're not three down backs necessarily, although they could be. They're not, you know, they, they, they split the carries just about. And so whenever they're in there, they're pretty healthy and they're pretty fresh because they've just spent a series or, or a few snaps on the sideline where maybe five, six years ago, you know, that wouldn't have been the case, you know, and I think that's, that's the same, the same can be said for, for the college game. Um, you need more than one tailback. Utah has found that out the hard way with a ton of injuries to their running backs, to their star running back to that. Um, Devontae Booker was injured a fair bit. Zach Moss got beat up a decent amount too. Uh, John White had his issues with, you know, and, and, and essentially when, when one of those key pieces goes down, you know, everything changes, you know, yeah. just from a production standpoint on offense. You even look at like Alvin Kamara, who you could argue is the best tailback in the NFL. Oh, he's certainly up there. You know, Lat- yeah, Latavius Murray. You know he get he gets a lot of carries for the Saints. Right. Um, yeah, and and honestly, like I think if you're looking for a comparison, and it's been made, you know, by others, but like if you're looking for a comparison for for Makai Bernard, Alvin Kamara is a great comparison. He's a guy that you know is versatile in in his game. They both have kind of similar builds and athleticism, uh, and he can be a playmaker and and. And you you need multiple backs, especially in this Ludwig offense, where you're going to be pounding the rock a lot. You're going to be physical. You're going to be tough. You're going to be running for hard yards. Utah is going to need, you know. I think Whittingham said at his at the uh, the national signing day presser that they typically carry five to six scholarship running backs, and with pleasure, um, that makes four scholarship running backs uh, for for Utah. So still think it's something that they're going to look to address um, with, with maybe another addition. Uh, because like you said, Tom, you, you need depth at running back, especially in this yeah. Ludwig offense. Yeah. But, but, but pledges signing is uh, paramount for the success of Utah offensively in 2021. And so that's, uh, that's exciting to hear that, that he'll be re- returning. Hey, I brought this up um, not that long ago, a couple of minutes ago, we were talking about, coaches you know speaking to other teams yeah. about moving so uh, i'm sure you've heard about this steve i'm sure many fans out there utah fans that listen to this podcast have heard the rumors as well but in case you haven't it's probably worth uh, bringing up so urban meyer uh, an analyst at the minute for fox has been by the way doing a great job behind the mic yeah uh, dissecting 
college football, what to what to predict, um, and just going about his business in a really good, really good and professional manner. There's been there's been interest now from NFL head coaching vacancies that Urban will potentially come in and uh, and take over one of those roles. The Jacksonville Jaguar Jaguars has been one of the teams that um, ha- has been linked with 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 Urban Meyer's name, which by the way is one of the better jobs in my opinion. Uh, in the NFL at the minute. They have a ton of cap space. They're about to draft Trevor Lawrence with the number one overall pick. And they already have, you know, a pretty tidy, talented roster uh, on offense to to complement Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, that, that job's quite appealing. And, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if Urban Meyer took that job. But... Another name has been linked to the defensive coordinator position for the Jags. And that, Steve, is Morgan Scally. Yeah. You think <laughs> Morgan uh, Scally could make the jump? Yeah. I, uh, so, <laughs> I th- so I think Scally, I think Scally, to understand, I think Scally is not – a guy that is, you know, I think if the opportunity presented itself that he would at least consider it. Um, but I, I do think that the, what we're hearing about Scally to this point has not been, has not been completely true, but I do think, you know, if you're looking at speculation and potential What do you mean? What options, do you mean? I just, I heard you from a very... Going. No, no, I, I don't. Uh, and, and it's not because I just, what I've, so what I've heard talking to somebody that is, you know, knows what's going on here. You're walking on uh, I just heard, I am. <laughs> and I've just heard that the, the rumors, there's not a lot to them is okay. basically what I'm trying to get at. There's not a lot to them, but if presented the opportunity that it would be considered. And, okay. and I think that's kind of the thing here is uh, there, there has been talk about it. Um, but according to, according to somebody that I've talked to that would absolutely know that it's, it, there's not a lot to these rumors. Okay. Well, it's, it's interesting. Um, it is. And, I and had honestly, heard. honestly, like, I think if you're Scally, like that's a great opportunity for you. If you yeah. are presented that job, that's a great opportunity for you. If you can go to the NFL, even if it's not as a defensive coordinator, if you can go to the NFL for as a position coach and and learn from Urban Meyer in the NFL and kind of learn how they operate, that's, that's great, man. Like hell yeah, consider it, man. Like that would be awesome. Yeah, no, no question. I, I look, I had also heard, and I don't, I haven't confirmed this, so please take this with a grain of salt. Uh, but I'd also heard that he was interested in, uh, I, I believe, the Utah State job when when that was open. Uh, and I don't even know if he got an interview. I don't even know if he got right. an interview. And I, and again, I don't even know if he was interested. At the end of the day, it's just yeah. what I had heard. So um, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah, I was speaking to, I was speaking to a coach. Um, that everybody knows um, last week. And we were just going back and forth via text. Um, oh, what Coach A-Rod, Aaron Roderick is who I was talking to, the BYU, now BYU offensive coordinator. And I, yeah. I reached out to him because I just wanted to congratulate him on the title change and wish him the best of luck, you know, and, and we, we struck a conversation and hopefully sooner rather than later, if it's safe to do so, we can go get lunch and catch up because he was one of the coaches when I was around at Utah that, um, that I was friendly with and, and we got along quite well. He, he recruited Travis Wilson uh, out of San Clemente, California. I live with Travis. So those two were, were quite close. And, and anyway, that's neither here nor there, but, but we were talking, you know, about coaching and I said, how's it going? You know, you yeah. know, he said, great. You know, yeah. uh, Zach Wilson's a first-round draft pick, blah, blah, blah. I didn't say that, but he said, you know, it was a ton of fun this year. Uh, but anyway, we, we kind of dove deeper into the weeds, and and he was saying, like, look, you, like, 
recruiting is hard. Um, and I'm he said, I'm fortunate because at BYU, we have a smaller pool of players that we can recruit based on religion, personality, grades, you know, there's quite a few elements that go into all of that. He said, so, you know, I, I spend probably half the amount of time recruiting now than what I did at Utah. Um, and so I said, have you ever thought, have you ever contemplated coaching in the NFL? Because um, I was sort of saying, look, the one thing, and, and I would love nothing more than to spend the next 30 years of my life, my working life, spending time with 18, 19 year old determined kickers and punters and snappers and special team enthusiasts coaching as a special teams coordinator. Um, that would be awesome for me because I, I feel like I'm a somewhat people person and I'm passionate about it. And I'd love to help develop the next crop of players um, to potentially pursue the NFL. Uh, but I told him, I said, look, the one thing that has kind of stopped me from doing that has, has been the recruiting. You know, I just, I don't want to spend that amount of time on the road away yeah. from my family. And, and they spend that much. I mean, they, they really do. When the season's yeah. going, they're, they're, they're in the office working, you know, all hours of the day, essentially, they leave at 10, 11 o'clock at night and they get back in there at six. And then when they're not in season, Steve, you know, they're on the road in all different areas of the world now trying to find the next big thing. Um, And and that just doesn't appeal to me. I'm sorry. I love the game and I love special teams and I love everything about it. I just, I love my family as well. And I don't know if I could commit to that. And he said, um, he said, I, I, I've actually, you know, I've never had the opportunity to coach in the NFL, so I wouldn't know. Um, but it is fascinating as it relates directly to Morgan Scally. If I'm Morgan Scally, and, and also, you know, I also know his wife um, at times, and I'm sure she's not alone, you know, she has stated to people that, that he's rarely home. And that's hard. That's hard. Yeah. The NFL is a, is a different ball game, Steve. They have scouts that do that work for the coaches. They, they don't recruit like the college yeah. game does. They hire other people strategically to do that. Younger guys that don't have families, they can spend all of their time in airports and on the road. If the opportunity presented itself, I would not be shocked if Morgan Scully took that job. I just wouldn't be because it, I hate to say this on a podcast that talks entirely about college football. NFL coaches make just amount, just as much money on average as college coaches do and work half the time. It's a better job. The, the NFL, oh, yeah. if you can get into the NFL co- coaching circle, it's a better job than in college. I'm just going to go out and say it there. So it's a fascinating conversation. If I'm Morgan Scully and I get that job offer, adios, Utah. Yeah, adios. you know, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's definitely something that he'll, you know, he would consider for sure. And I think he should. Like, that's the thing is, like, it's a great opportunity. And not just from the football thing, but – all everything that you just stated is like, yeah, those are sort of difficult things. Like you're away from your family, you know, for three fourths of the year, like you're gone on the road, you're at the facility for all of fall season. Like it's tough, man. And so to get that added free time for your family, like, yeah, it's, it's tough. And, you know, Scally is, you know, a lot of people consider him a very loyal person, but I think even this, like, this is something where, you know, if the opportunity were actually there, like, it would definitely be something that that I think, you know, he'd consider and, and should consider for sure. I'm I'm with you there, Tom. Uh, while we're talking about coaches, uh, and and we do have recruiting news that we'll end the show with, uh, but quickly before we get to that, um, a Sports Illustrated article came out a couple of days ago. Uh, right before the national title game. Congratulations to University of Alabama on their seventh 
national championship in I don't know the last decade. They they win a lot of them. Starting to get <laughs> yeah, bit, starting to get a bit boring if you ask me. Yeah. But congratulations, I guess. Yeah, to them. Uh, good for you. Mm, congratulations. This, yeah. The Sports Illustrated article was interesting, Steve, because it was talking about Nick Saban and how he's transformed essentially his entire coaching philosophy. And he's adapted to the new age and the new era of college football, and that is scoring points. And this this article basically said, look, it wasn't that long ago that Nick Saban was the head coach of Alabama and he was winning national championship games to the tune of 10 to 7. You know, they were were defensive ball games, you know, a lot of punting, my sort of football uh, nowadays, and the other night was a great example of this. He coached the University of Alabama team that was the most prolific team in the land on the offensive side, which is a complete flip to what he was all about just a decade ago. Coach Whittingham is known as one of the best defensive minds in the game, not just college, but in the NFL. I mean, he is well-regarded, well-respected across the entire uh, footballing uh, landscape. He has struggled, and it has been well-documented. He has struggled at putting enough points on the board to win football games. He's gone through uh, as many offensive coordinators as I can count. He, he, just, look, he just hasn't been able to figure it out. Um, can he learn from what Nick Saban has been able to do and readjust his coaching strategy and philosophy so that the University of Utah still has a prolific defense, a nasty defense, but can he also complement that with an offense that can put up 45 points or four, I think University of Alabama, they averaged 48 point something points a game. I mean, just ludicrous numbers. Can he do yeah. it, Steve? Well, I mean, <laughs> the thing that kind of separates Alabama and, and, and Utah is the talent pool that they're able to recruit, right? Like me and Cam and Brian, the old Blockcast squad, we were watching the game together on Monday and, you know, we were talking about like how nice would it be to have the type of talent where you can you can call a simple game plan like we're going to run bubble screens and and we're going to run slants and that's it. And they're not going to be able to stop us. Like that's all we're going to call. But because these dudes are so talented, like yeah. that's, you know, you're able to do it and you look brilliant for doing it, you know? Uh, and so I, I think Utah is in a very interesting spot in terms of their, their roster makeup, the talent that they have on the team and, and, what it could potentially mean on the recruiting trail. I think with how the offense is set up, like they've got some playmakers, they've got some dudes. And I think um, you, with recruiting, you kind of have to prove, prove it, especially when you're, you're at a place as a program like Utah is where you're just kind of coming up in the pac 12. Now uh, you're just starting to, to get in the, not get in the door, because Utah has been in the door for a long time, but you're just now starting to recruit at an elite level where you have access to the Ethan Calverts and the Clark Phillips. Utah still kind of has to prove themselves in the passing game before they can start recruiting at an an elite level. And so I think that's kind of the key here is we would love to see, you know, that switch. And I think that 2019 season with Tyler Huntley, I think that was great. I think that was a great thing to build off of. Unfortunately, the 2020 thing kind of with everything COVID and all of that and only getting five games, I think that really kind of limited their potential on the recruiting trail. But I do think like at some point you're going to have to make the, you're going to have to commit to the offensive side of the ball because, you know, you're, you're not going to win at a high level if, unless you do (laughs) like that's because that's what we're seeing in college football. Like you've got to be willing to, you know, let your offense go and, and let it rip a little bit. And, and you, you can still do that with a, a great running game and still make that the focal point, but you've got to be willing to to feature the passing game a little bit more. And and I think I think Utah understands that. Like, I think they get that. And I think that's kind of their hope with this receiving group. Uh, and that's kind of why we've seen them load up at the quarterback position because they understand that they have the talent. I think, 
and that they, you know, they want to capitalize on it next year. And so you do that next year and that'll pay off in the 2022 recruiting cycle with, with receivers, at least, you know, I think. Well, the best player in college football this year, Devonta Smith or Devonte Smith, he broke. So in just a half, right. He only played a half in the title game In, in, in just two quarters. He broke um, the record for the most completions in a title game and the most yards in a title game. He had 12 at half time. He, he, he is really good. I mean, like he's, re- he's probably, he's probably the, sec- the number two or number three pick in the upcoming draft. You know, like it'll go Trevor Lawrence and then Smith will fall at two or three. And I still think Penne Sewell is going to go two or three as well. I think Smith and... Sewell are kind of fighting it out for who goes second or third. But that's just me. We'll wait and see. He was a four-star guy. It's not like he was the best player in high school. He's out of a tiny town in Louisiana. He's he's a four-star kid. And 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 he had a good offer sheet. I'm not saying that, you know, he was this scrub that was overlooked on the recruiting trail, but he wasn't like a Najee Harris, where he was the number one recruit by a country mile. You know, he still had something he had to prove at the University of Alabama, and he was able to do that. And I think part of me, when I when I look at Nick Saban and I look at his resume and I start thinking about just the job he's done at the University of Alabama, what what what's so impressive, Steve, to me is every single year he recruits the most egotistical players in the entire country. The better the player, the bigger the ego. Generally speaking, now there are there are some occasions in which that doesn't that doesn't mesh. But generally speaking, the big the big, the better the player, the bigger the ego. And yet he finds a way to humble these guys and work, if not harder than they ever have done before, to produce come playoff time at the college game. He keeps the locker yep. room together. He has guys, Steve. That Mac Jones is a great example. Mac Jones was third on the depth chart for multiple years, multiple years yeah. behind the likes of Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa, and then it was Mac Jones. And I think he had a DUI's freshman year and things weren't working out, and here we are three years later, four years later, whatever it is, and he's all of a sudden a Heisman finalist. He's a projected late first-round pick. It's just like it would have been so easy for Mac Jones to say, I'm never going you know, to play here. Let me just like let me just just go and 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 go. I'm going to go to Louisiana Tech and see what I'm capable of there. I mean, remarkable what Nick Saban can do with with so many egos. He finds a way to ground everybody and continue to work hard, trusting the process, as Coach Witt would say, uh, and and stick around. Now Cooper Bateman didn't, and you have to think that if Cooper Bateman would have stuck around the final year that he he had at Alabama, could he have been a Mac Jones type of player a few years prior to Mac Jones uh, introduced? I mean, you have to think about it. Cooper Bateman may be in the NFL right now if he had stuck around at the University of Alabama. Yeah, yeah maybe. <laughs> maybe. Uh, it's it's definitely interesting. I think that's kind of the, the goal for, for every head coach and specifically at Utah is like, there's a process here. And when you develop talent like Utah has, like there's a process and you got to come in, you got to buy in, you got to buy into to the work and, and what we're going to ask of you and, and taking ownership of, you know, your individual responsibilities. And so, you know, I do think that there is that kind of element at Utah. They just, they just don't have access to the elite talent that Alabama yeah. does. You know? I, I understand that. I understand. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that. And so, but I do think that there is a level of like, hey, like, look, it's going to take you a couple of years. Like, you've got to buy in. You've got to be willing to do the work. And, you know, it's not everybody's going to do that. But most, for the most part, the majority of the roster at Utah tends to do that. To, to further, I guess, uh, implement my point, you take a look at what LSU did this year coming off a national title run where they were undefeated. And I get it. Like there, there were some, there were some yeah. issues with NCAA and, and they were punished, you know, accordingly. I think they got some scholarships taken away, but they were not very good this year, Steve. Yeah. They, no, they and, and let's be real. Like their roster lost some, some pretty talented players. 
Joe Burrow oh, yeah. being one of them, a bunch of receivers, whatever. I mean, they, but they still had a decent chunk of the roster returning for this year, and they were not good. And and I guess that's kind of where I'm going, and that's why Nick Saban to me is is like he's like a god, you know, in the college football world. He's so bloody good because he's never bad, and it's so easy to take a year off, and and it's so easy to just throw in the white towel and say we'll be back for the year after, you know. Uh, Nick Saban doesn't do that. Every single year, he finds players that can produce at such a high level despite whether or not they have experience or they don't, you know, and yeah, and it's Nick Saban and it's everybody. It's, it's the, it's the strength and conditioning stuff. We, we spoke, we heard a ton from the commentators on the national title game about how Devonte Smith has been working really, really hard on his acceleration. And my goodness was that, you know, that, that was well, um, you know, he was able to, I guess, showcase that, not just in the title game, but across the entire season. Those bubble screens, you know, where he'd be jogging and you blink and all of a sudden he's 20 yards down the field and nobody can catch him. I mean, like, everybody in that University of Alabama uh, football program deserves a pat on the back because they they just find a way, man. And uh, and everybody at the minute's just trying to keep up and nobody can. And it's kind of sad and it sucks and it's starting to get a bit boring. I saw a tweet that was quite funny, Steve. It was like... Um, Nick Saban's at at the point where, you know, if you're playing NCAA 14, you know, it's starting to get boring. So you just, you go take over the University of Wyoming and see if you can win a national championship with them because you're sick and tired of winning national championships with Wyoming. Why not? (laughs) Like Saban, let's do it, man. Let's get you out here to to Jackson, Wyoming, wherever they're at. Cheyenne, where are they at? Where's Wyoming? Where's the base out of that kid? Laramie. It's Laramie. Laramie. Oh, it's freaking Laramie. I should know that. Uh, but let's get you out to Laramie, man. Let's get you some land and, you know, let's try winning a national championship in Wyoming. Let's, you know, let's go, Saban. Let's, let's, let's uh, get you out here. <laughs> uh, it made me laugh because yeah, it's pretty true. Hey, uh, before we get out of here, Steve, uh, Isaiah Moa, the son of Ben Moa, yeah. committed to Utah to Weber High School. What do you make of him? Oh man, I love love Isaiah. Love love Ice. This is his nickname Ice. Um great because yeah, he's got ice talent. in his veins. Basically, bro. This this kid is cold. Um <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, he's, these days, man. Oh man, bro. They he, you know, but I'll give it to him. I'll give it to Isaiah. You know, he's he's my he's my guy, he's my buddy. Uh he's he owns it, man. Like he he's on he whenever he's on the field, bro, like he he brings it, and he's he's definitely. <laughs> I shouldn't say this, Tom. I shouldn't say it. He's definitely one of the coldest players no. out there, bro. I'm telling you. No. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, hey, but, what position but, does he play, or what position uh, will so, he play? Yeah, so he's going to come to Utah as a uh, as kind of that outside linebacker, defensive end type. He may even grow into a defensive tackle. I mean, okay. he's he's he's. Uh, 6'3", 220 pounds, 230 pounds, somewhere in there right now. And, you know, his older brother, Sione Moa, was a recruit a couple years ago. And uh, he ultimately committed to, to Utah State um, as a linebacker. He was like six foot, 180 pounds. Kind of looks – he looked more like a receiver than anything. But went on a mission, and uh, he came back. And, you know, I ran into him when I was up at the Weber game to watch Moa. And, you know, he got bigger in, in his time out on the mission. Like he got, I think he got a couple inches taller and was definitely broader in the shoulders. So I do think that there's that, you know, second growth spurt for Isaiah as well that we can, you know, still hope for where he just kind of uh, grows into, uh, you know, a bigger defensive lineman type of a right. body. But this kid, man, he's got just kind of this like explosive power where, you know, he's just running through offensive linemen. Um, he's a powerful kid, really good athleticism, and just an overall football player. Like, he plays both ways, offensive and defense. He's a tight end um, for Weber up there, and, you know, he's a good talent. And, you know, he, he plays a lot in these seven-on-seven tournaments, which kind of speaks to his athleticism. And, yeah. you know, he's constantly a kid that's making plays, um, you know, as a linebacker. And so – just cool. a good overall talent, a good kid to have in the program early because, you know, he's a vocal kid that's going to be 
willing to talk to kids and, and recruit kids to join him in the class. And you always like to have those kids in early up, you know, you always like to have those kids committed early because they can play a role um, the rest of the way for you as well. So it's a big pickup. And the fact that, you know, he's a legacy kid, the son of Ben Moa, who was a Utah great, um, you know, you love to see those kids committed as well. So a yeah. big, big, big pickup. That's awesome. 2.30, uh, he's 2.30 right now. By the way, how nice would it have been? Is he, a, is he, does he still have a year of high school to play? Yeah, so he's going to be a huh. senior next year, man. Like, and he's 2.30 that's what I'm already? Saying. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying, bro. He's 6'3". Yeah, no, like, nah, this kid's a defensive lineman. Let's, let's yeah. just be real. Like, he's a linebacker now, but he's 17 going on 18. He's a bloody lineman. He's going to be 250, yeah. you know, in, a, in the blink he, of an eye, and all yeah. of a sudden Nate Orchard 2.0 is appearing. You know, like, yeah. Um, two, can you imagine being 230 as a yeah, junior? Yeah, very easily. Yeah, I can very easily imagine what 230 is like in high school. Uh, you that, were that's not a problem. That's not a problem, Tom. That's, you know, that's Steve. That's child please. <laughs> right. So here's the thing, bro. I played, so I played basketball and football in high school, my sophomore, junior years. And I was, I tried my best to stay committed to basketball because that was, you know, that was my love. I, I love basketball. I'm, I'm a hooper, you know? And, uh, and then, you know, it was pretty clear I wasn't going to make the team my senior year. There were politics in play. That's what I'm going to say. There were oh. politics in play. I wasn't the coach's pet. Uh, you know, I, I like to shoot. I like to shoot the trays, bro. And, and coach wasn't too fond of that. And, uh, <laughs> and oh, so I, I committed to playing, playing defense and I ballooned to 230 my, my senior year. So yeah, 230, man, that's, come on, let's chop, chop, please. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Steve. Oh, <laughs> I've got a pretty funny basketball story. So I lived in Tokyo, <laughs> Japan for six years. Um, and we, and I, I was on the basketball team at the school I was playing for. And, I, and we actually had an, an American uh, science teacher that acted as the coach for the basketball team. Anyway, I played point guard. And like my go-to move, you know, because I thought I was icy too. I thought I was pretty cold. Uh, yeah. And, you know, this was like back when Allen Iverson was doing his thing. Steph Curry wasn't around yet. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, not, I'm, not that, uh, I'm not that old. But AI, Alan Iverson with the, with the armband, you know, he was doing his thing and, uh, and he could, he could make it rain pretty, pretty, pretty coolly from, uh, from three point range. So I thought, you know, this is cool. I'm just going to hit, I'm going to hit three daggers the whole time. Just three bombs. I'm just going to let it fly, baby. And so my, my go-to move was, and it's a very selfish, you know, as I look back on it, I would literally dribble the ball down the court, try set up one of my forwards as a screen and then yep. it didn't matter if they decided to go over or under the screen. I would just pull up and hit a three. And hey. I was going at about 10%. I was shooting the ball at about 10%. And my coach, I, I never forget this. My coach goes, Tom, if you dribble the ball down one more time and pull up without passing the ball to your teammates, I'm going to bench you. I said, okay, coach, next possession. I grab the ball in the, in the backcourt. I dribble the ball down. I pull up. And I airmail it, I get bent, hey. and I never play another minute of basketball again. Hey, and hey you shot your shot, bro. Oh, I shooters shoot, Steve. Hey, shooters shoot, baby. Shooters shoot. I said, I never played again. I never played again. I was like, the last game of the season, I never played again. And I was like 10. I said, eh, basketball might not be for me. Um, <laughs> Nate Wade Subaru, we love and appreciate them. NateWade.com is where you need to go. Uh, for any of your car needs, um, there are so many Subarus driving around. I know we haven't had much snow this winter, but generally when we do have a decent amount of snow, uh, Subarus are the number one car that'll get you from A to B. Uh, they just they just know how to operate. They're the oldest Subaru dealership in North America, right here in your backyard, 1207 South Main Street, uh, right adjacent from from where the bees play. What's that stadium called? Uh, um I forget. Oh shoot! What is that called? It's been so long since I've left my apartment. I, That's uh, all right. Um, Frank anyway, Covey, Franklin Covey is Frank. What is it? Yeah, I, I don't know, remember. but it doesn't matter because the bees play there, and everybody knows. Uh, there's a great burger shack just down the Miss road. Ballpark. God, that was Ballpark. way off. Yeah, it's just adjacent from there. So right there in the hub of uh, downtown Salt Lake City, I guess. So check them out, uh, Steve. 
You're a good friend. Tom. And thank you, as always, for uh, spending the time with me on this pod. We'll be back next week. Be sure to check out utezone.com. Between now and then, as they have really a lot of juicy gossip constantly circulating. Fucking a lot of food. Your <laughs> chicken, baby. Fry it. Now, uh, carouselsports.com, another destination we recommend you guys to go. Until then, we'll be back next week. Steve, be well. We'll see you soon. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.